0: well hello and welcome back to another scary episode of ghost stories told from the south i am your host steven lebooth and i got some skilly skilly stuff for you today boys and girls <laughs> all right man i'm just about over its crud i'm feeling a lot better I probably don't sound better, but I'm not wheezing as bad now. and I'm getting all this Fleming flam crud up, so... <clears throat> Bear with me still. And uh, we'll get through another fine, fun episode. I've noticed my numbers have gone up again. Got some new members, new followers. Want to say thank you very much. You know who you are, man. And I know this isn't a uh, sports channel, but I live here in Texas. And... I'm a Rangers fan. I'm not a real big baseball fan, but man, it's just been a long time. We've never won a World Series, and we finally did, so just want to say congrats, and that's all the sports. But anyways, I'm feeling better, so I figured I'd do this early. It's Thursday here, but I'm getting it ready for Saturday morning for ya. But alright, man, just want to say thanks to everybody for uh, listening and subscribing and all that, and I'm still trying to get my editing thing done so I can get my YouTube page caught up. I want to say thank you guys for going and checking that out too. like I said, send me an email ghoststoriestoldfromthesouth, stories told from the south, uh, um it's all overcase and then find the uh facebook page uh ghost stories told from the South, but without uh, you fans, it wouldn't be possible so y'all leave some reviews and stuff for me. Come on man, help a feller out. Y'all are loyal fans, and I like being loyal to you, bubba. All right. You know the routine. Well, we're going to cover some uh, asylums. I haven't done asylums in a while, and uh, these are from around the world. But you know the routine. Go find you a nice warm blanket. Make you some hot cocoa or hot tea. Poke the fire a little bit. Get the coals cold. Snuggle up nice and tight. Because you're about to get scared. Alright. Oh, and excuse me if you hear. I got a cough drop in my mouth. And me a uh, big old deal of water here to help me uh, through the podcast. So if I'm. You hear the, my mouth that's slopping around. I'm sorry. I truly, truly am. Well. Let's see if I do this, if it helps. I forgot I didn't have my cover on. That might help. Might cut back, cut back some of the smacky-whacking. I just hate it because it's a big old mic cover. But anyways, guys, let's get on with our first story. What do you say? All right, our first story is the Danvers Lunatic Asylum. Now, see, that's messed up back then. They called them lunatic asylums. And you'll find that here with some of these I go. They, they'll have the main name and then lunatic asylums. So, yeah. But this place is in Denver's Montana? Or, May, or Maine. I'm not for sure. But anyways. All right. The Danvers State Hospital, also known as Danvers State Lunatic Asylum, was once the country's most beautiful and prestigious mental hospital in the world. Unfortunately, it only looked good on the outside, and the, and the inside was full of horrors. An international uh, built in an uh, built in an insolent an isolated part. I'm sorry, I effed that all up. Okay, it looked good on the outside, and the inside was full of horrors. An international an interaneously built in a isolated area in Dan uh, Danvers, Massachusetts. Danvers was built in 1874, and like many of the insane asylums at the time, it was constructed under the Kirkbride Plan, which included areas of self sedating farms and presterious gardens surrounding the building. And at one point, the building was registered on the National Register of Historical Places. Yet most of the building was demolished in 2007. Yet the spirits of Danvers' past still roam the area, leading to the location being as one of the most haunted in the state of Massachusetts. Here's some of the history. This, uh, the asylum's construction took four years, and the doors eventually opened in 1878. The building was constructed under the National Jeremiah Bradley, the head of architect. The the, uh, project cost $1.5 million and originally consisted of two main center buildings. The house administration, which had four wings each side of the administration block. The Middle Tone Pond supplied the faculties with water and had a male and female wing. There was even a wing reserved for the hospital's patients. Throughout the years, <clears throat> new areas are added, such as a gymnasium and a sol- uh, solarium, but they all remain connected by tunnels. The original plan was designed to house five hundred patients and there was an attic space that they could uh, where they could put a hundred more if they needed to. The faculty's purpose was to provide residential treatment to the mental ill and include a nursing a nursing nurse training program in eighteen eighty nine <laughs> A research center was also uh, supposed to be built in 1895. In 1890, Superintendent Dr. Charles Page declared medical restraints unnecessary and harmful to the mental ill. By 1920, the hospital was operating school clinics to help. De- help determining mental illness in chickens bok, bok. however by the 1930's and the 40's the institute faced an over- overcrowding and they opened the basement to the uh, house patients there were reports that the hospital began using inhumane shock therapies and um, drugs and stray jackets and overcrowding and uh, lobotomies. They always perform lobotomies. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's pretty gross. I don't know why they thought this was a good idea. They would get like a steel stainless pick, and I think in the corner of your eye, they would drive it up into your brain, and supposedly they would sit there, and they thought they was wiping the, con- the cobwebs out. No, they was doing more damage is what they was doing and make making people fucking vegetables. Yeah, that's the kind of crap they did, thinking they was uh, doing it for medical, you know, for science. No, they was fucking killing people, making them dumb, making them vegetables. But anyways, uh, where was I? Okay, it was rumored that the patients walked the halls naked and lived in their... Uh, filth due to lack of basic, uh, you know, basic stuff to clean themselves. The patients, the patients only got worse at the faculty. If a patient misbehaved, they were put into a straitjacket, making most of the uh, patients misbehave due to fear. So they would always use fear, so they wouldn't misbehave. Yeah, see, back then there wasn't a whole lot of uh, laws and stuff for the uh, mentally ill and stuff. For I mean, people were getting just do all sorts of experiments to you. When shock therapy uh, failed, the lobotomies began. Two hundred and two hundred two hundred and seven 207, or two hundred and seventy eight people died at the hospital in one year. Denver's also has the reputation as the birthplace of the personal, lobo- personal lobotomy. The lobotomy patients begin wandering the halls with blank stares, unaware of who they were. Well, because they, you're going up there and you're messing up your uh, your uh, brain and your brain cells and some of your ner- your nerve endings and stuff. Yeah, it's very dumb. I don't know why they would do that. Oh, where was I at? OK, and aware of who okay In 1980, there was a report that 115 patients disappeared in only three months. When staff was questioned, was questioned about the missing patients, the response was, these patients had been assigned to a new doctor. These patients were never found, and no one knows what happened to them funding funding decreased and outpatient care started the faculty began to get addition to the uh, addition and during the 1960s 60s there was uh, was an uh, emphasis on alter, on alternative treatment ethics in based mentally or mental health care. The population of Denver's of Denver started to decrease as a as did budget cuts which eventually led to the closure of the Denver State Hospital By 1985 the majority of the original hospital was closed or abandoned The patients left were relocated to the uh, Boner Medical Building and, uh, and on June 24th of 1992, the entire faculty, faculty was closed. and In 2005, the property was sold to Alvon Bay Communities to build, to build apartments. However, Legal Preservations filed a lawsuit to prevent uh, demolishing the place. It did not stop the deconstruction and the apartment buildings were built. Ooh, I wonder if that place is haunted. Think about it. They built that over where all that stuff happened? Pretty crazy. Yet in 2007, four of the apartment complexes built built, and four of Avalon Bay's construction trailers burned down in a large fire. The only part left of the... uh. Kickbride complex were the uh, exterior and the uh, cemeteries and the block tunnels. The brick shell of the administration and the D and G wings remained from uh, remained from the original site. The Salem Witch Trial Connection Not only was David Norris a place of horrors but the judge who oversaw the Salem witch trials. John Hawthorne once lived on the land that Dan- that Danvers, excuse me, Danvers was built on. Only a few hundred years prior, could could it be? Could there be a connection between the land and the Salem witch trials? The only proof that. Deaths occurred at Danvers in the uh, is in these is in the seven hundred and seven bodies that were located in the cemetery that was located on the grounds. Some of the headstones did not have names, only numbers see that's fucking sad they didn't even have the decency to put their names on there just their goddamn numbers man that's just that's just It's just crazy how a person can be on this earth and just get treated like a piece of trash like that and just like they meant nothing. Those who have visited the property have reported hearing screaming, banging, and crying. The cemetery has paranormal activity. Some have reported seeing apparitions and disembodied voices. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. All right, got that one did. All right, I'll be ready for the... Now, this next one's pretty thick. It's a good thick story. But let's get on with it. All right, our next story is... The Beachworth Lunatic Asylum. See what I mean? <coughs> Another lunatic. This one's in Victoria, Australia. The, uh, Betchworth, the Betchworth Lunatic Asylum, located in Victoria, Australia, is a place shattered in darkness and in mis- in mis- uh, mystery. For more than a century, it has served as a home for the mentally ill. Housing patients who were deemed dangerous or unfit for society. The asylum was a haunting history filled with tales of despair abuse and tragedy today it today it stands as a chilling reminder of the darker side of psychic care this blog post device into the in the unsettling past of the Betchworth lunatic asylum unearthing these secrets in the un, in the in exploring the lasting impact it has and had on the field of the mentally health. Of the mental health, I mean. Understanding the history of Betchworth, Lunatic Asylum, is a circular in order to grasp the signific- signification it holds in the realm of the mental health. By dividing it into uh, asylums past, we can grain insights into the evolution of psychic care, the treatment of mental health and its impact of the last, oh, that it has had on the society as a whole. The birth of the... Okay, we're going to do this. I'm not going to read all that, that part. Okay, the birth of the Betchworth Lunatic Asylum. The uh, asylum, located in, in the town of Betchworth, Australia, has a haunting history that dates back to its to its insur- to its uh, to its construction in the uh, middle nineteenth century originally known as the midday hills lunatic asylum it was established during a period when mental illness was poorly understood and kind of looked down upon the asylum was born out of praising of pressing need to provide care for individuals suffering from mental health conditions at a time when such conditions were often misunderstood and dismissed in eighteen sixty five the colony government of Victoria reorganized the need to have its kind of institute to house and treat mentally ill individuals and in betchworth lunatic asylum was established. The condition within the asylum were in the asylum were was fair, reflecting reflecting the prevailing audience towards mental illness during the era. Patients were subject to overcrowded. See, and that was the biggest thing back then was overcrowdedness. When they would try, they just... Well, because back then, people would just drop their kinfolk off there. I mean, back then, if you had something special with you... trying to be politically correct here... (laughs) Excuse me if I'm not, but if you're like you know what I mean, a special needs person back then they would have just drop their kid, their uncle, aunt mom. If they had a problem like that, I mean they was shined upon back then. So that was a, another big reason why they'd get overpopulated so quick. Uh ticket, ticket, where was I? And uh overcrowdedness and unsanitary living conditions with minimal Resources or support. The lack of knowledge about mental health led to the use of brutal, inhumane treatments, including lobotomies and electric shock treatment. They would actually shock you, they'd lay you down on a gurney and <laughs> shock your ass. As the institution grew over the years, so did its reputation for. Sorry. Anyways, as the institution grew over the years, so did its reputation for mistreatment and abuse. Reports of neglect and physical punishment and the use of restraints suffered a further tarnish the asylum's already grim image. The patients often misunderstood and uh, misused by society suffered greatly within the walls of the asylum. However, the Beechworth Lunatic Asylum's dark history is not without its significance. It served as a stark reminder of the progress made of the field of mental health care. The mistreatments endured by the patients sheds light on the Importance of the uh, evidence and based approach to the mental health treatment. All right, we're going to talk about some of the uh, dark stuff that happened here. The asylum harbored a uh, multitude of heroic realities within these walls. Patients subject to unimaginable conditions and treatments and highlight the existence of the mistreatment and negligence that plagued the asylum during, the op- during its operation. One of the most prevalent horrors within the asylum was the overcrowded and unsanitary living conditions. The faculty's old equipment to handle the growing number of patients became severely overcrowded. Individuals suffering from mental health conditions were crammed into small, cramped spaces, expirating their already fragile mental states. Sanitations was also a major, major concern as those were limited resources in the infrastructure to ensure cleanliness. The lack of support of all that, only furthered the uh, fall of the well-being of the patients. All right, let's get into the ghost. Okay, here we go with some of the hauntings. Yeah, yeah. The insane asylum is renowned for its haunting history, with co- with countless reports of paranormal activity. And ghostly encounters over the years of the visitors and staff and the members and the paranormal investigators have documented their experiences and encounters with the otherworldly entities and these still lingering within the asyl- within the asylums walls. Let me get a drink drink. Let me get it drip, drip. Okay. Okay, where was I? Okay, one of the most commonly reported paranormal phenomena within the asylum is the eerie sounds of footsteps and disembodied voices. Many witnesses have claimed to hear distant footsteps echoing through the empty hallways, and even no one else's. And even when no one else is pres- present, whispers, eerie uh, whispers, cries, and conversations have always been heard, seemingly I- imitating from the rooms that once housed. The uh, patients, these unexplained voices and phenomenon add to the overall chilling era of the asylum. The addition of the phenomenon, visual mischievous spirits and apparitions have always been reported. Excuse me. Visitors and staff members have uh, have reported seeing shadow figures moving swiftly across the corridors and disappearing into thin air. Some have even claimed to have full-bodied apparitions of former patients, dressed in alter, uh, their alter alternative clothes that was common during the insane asylum's operation. And uh, disappearing into thin hair. Some have claimed to see full bodied apparitions of former patients dressed in their uh, attire of the time. That was common during the asylum's operations. So they had let the patients just run around in their, uh, you know, their nightgown, their uh, robes and stuff. They didn't change them. These sightings often invoke feelings of uh, un. Unease and a sense of being watched, hinting the supernatural's absence of the location. Electronic, electronics are interfered with and fluctuate, and temperatures are often uh, felt here with ter- paranormal activity. In the asylum is no ha- oh, and the ex- asylum is no exception many paranormal investigators have recorded abnormally high electronomanic readings in the sudden drops in temperatures during their visits to the asylum. These fluctuations compulate with with the reported ghostly encounters. Further support the belief that the spirits of the past connect uh, reside within the the asylum. The haunting history of the asylum has attracted numerous paranormal investigators from around the world. Ghost tours and overnight investigations provide brave individuals with the opportunity to visit and experience the unexplained phenomenon firsthand. These impressive experiences aim to uncover the ghostly uh, residents left behind by the bad history of the asylum, offering a unique experience into the unnatural supernatural. That don't make any sense. But yeah, that place sounds pretty creepy too. Yeah, cuz people still report seeing stuff. I mean, that's what people don't understand. When uh, you know, you're there's such an imprint on that you know, it just it's kind of scars the land, I guess I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right, this next one's pretty big. This one should be pretty good, too. All right, our next story is Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Westin, uh, West Virginia. The Trans the uh, the Trans Lunatic Asylum was known as the Weston State Hospital. It was a curb ride style sci- uh, psychiatric hospital that opened its doors to the public in 1864. The hospital is known for its for its hauntings and is one of the most haunted spots in the whole whole of West Virginia. The asylum asylum keeps secrets dating back to the Civil War, holding them tightly within these stone walls. What could those secrets be? Known as the Western State Hospital when it was constructed in the 1800s, the asylum construction was stopped and stopped in 1858 when the Union's Union soldiers wanted to use the land during the Civil War. The building like many other asylums at the time was constructed in the Kirkbride style. Thomas Story Kirkbride was a mentally ill man who wanted nothing more than to be associated with in a uh, positive light with the American Psychiatric Faculties. Kirkbride and uh, beloved patients should be allowed to roam around the faculty in the grounds of the asylum. He believed that giving patients more freedom was essential to their healings in, in that soon they would even be cured of their illness. Some of the patients remember, uh, remember found memories of the asylum. The asylum truly used to live up to its name. I remember the Thanksgiving. I remember the Thanksgiving was great. We had a great turkey, and the Christmas thing was wonderful. It was like a fairy tale atmosphere. It's like, "I must be in heaven. I'm not a nut I'm not in another. I, I am not in a nut house. I'm in heaven." In its inception, the hospital could be comfortably contain, could contain about 250 patients and provide rooms. In 1863, an increase in mental health diagnostics led to the hospitals admitting more patients. Then it could adding more patients than it could handle. 500 more people were added to the already full hospital and the asylum in the asylum started to struggle to keep up with the amount of patients that the uh, that they had under their care conditions starting to de- started to decline patients were cramped together Pat- uh patients were cramped together four or five in one room that was meant to only fit one person. By 1938, the asylum was over six times the capacity. Patients began to take advantage to the situation, and were completely out of control. Or they were completely out of control of nurses and doctors. So there was control out of The, the patients were out of control. The nurses, doctors, food supplies were running low and the hospitals were even even starting using hallways for patient rooms. The overcrowding of the asylum was caused by more than just not enough space, while plenty of the patients actually suffered from some sort of illness. A lot of those admitted were medically Uh, were medically reasons such as asthma tuberculosis and rabies and even stronger others were wives who were insubordinated to their husbands and indigestion and they were basically put there for experiments that's what they would do if they uh, got tired of their wife or caught her cheating or whatever. They'd sign her into there saying she was fucking cuckoo. And especially if the girl didn't have any family on her side. It was easy, easy to do that back then. And then especially if you had money. Uh, okay, where was I at? Sword illness. Tuberculosis. I don't know where. Where the hell did I go? That I missed my spot. I hate it when I do that. Okay, I'm just kind of going to start up here, I guess. Again, okay. Hmm, that's weird. Anyway, suffered from some sort of mental illness. A lot of those admitted were medically uh, were medical reasons such as asthma, tuberculosis, rabies, even stranger, other were wives who were uh, dropped dropped there to their by their husbands and uh, submitted by them for uh, for uh, e- experiments. If one truly thinks about it, most people would have been admitted to some point in their lives. Who hasn't fought with a spouse? Had a stomach ache or been upset with the world's politics, political climate. At the peak of the nineteen fifties, the hospital contained a whopping two thousand six hundred patients, meant to only house two hundred and fifty. This was uh, very, very uh, overcrowded and leading to lead and leading to the fighting in general senses. Of insanity that ran rampant throughout the corridors. Patients were forced to sleep on the floor in freezing rooms with no furniture or heat. Windows were coated in mold. The wallpaper was peeling off the walls. The asylum had begun to look like it was abandoned before it was. During the time, the asylum began performing experimental uh, lobotomies. The hospital performed over, performed over 4,000. See, a lot of places were doing that back then across the world, not just the United States. So they fucked up a lot of people. Uh, 4,000 lobotomies, which left healthy patients with uh, irre- irreparable brain damage and hemorrhages. The hospital used the ice pick method which involved slipping a thin pointed round rod into the patient's eye socket. And then a hammer was used to serve the the connective tissue to the uh, frontal lobe of the brain, which resulted in more than a few deaths. Yeah, stupid asses. Oh, but they're doctors. They know what they were doing. That was so wrong. Lobotomies regularly left patients without a person, a personality, or effect as their uh, neutral connections were severed. Some of these uh, therapies truly uh, had an alternative patient; uh, it truly uh, altered patients' lives in a terrible way. Uh, Thorans was a medic intended to treat psycho disorder but it was often it was often prescribed to only uh, to only keep patients in a constant state of uh, insulin shock therapy which spent, sent patients to into comas as well as electronic electronic ugh, electronic sleeve ther- electronic therapy also known as shock treatment, was also employed by the staff at the asylum. After the hospital closed in 1994, the only uh, expansion ever built was a graveyard. Uh, These days, tours are often of the hospital and the graveyard. The history of the uh, hospital is told over and over again creating a repetitive telling of these same, same stories of the worst days of these spirits' lives. It's no wonder that the hospital is said to be haunted by, by patients end of years gone by, unable to have left the grounds of the hospital, trapped there forever. All right, let's check out what it says about the back room of this place. The back room. In a room towards the end of the wing, a patient was murdered by two others. They attempted to hang him, but when they failed, they placed his head under a bed frame and jumped on it until the bed frame touched the floor. Oh, I was not expecting that. Whoa! Fuck! I mean, sorry. That wow. Basically, they pancaked its poor dude's freaking skull. God! Wow. Okay. Other patients were other patients were also murdered in cold blood by their peers, as overcrowding, mental illness, and the uh, poor care became the lethal combination for. Uh, aggravation this room is known for its cold spots and quiet cries which is said to be the dean the man who was murdered in this room oh man not the dean but that was his name dean the isolation cells asylum staffs asylum staff were empowered to send their patients into the (laughs) isolation cells which that is it's a padded room with maybe one little window in it that's it you're in there night and day if they were deemed uncontrollable these of course was up to the uh, discretion of the staff that was already I was already irate of the uh overworked of their overworked hours and stuff Isolation was so terrible that patients would do just about anything to get out of it. One story in particular is especially surprising. A former boxer suffered or suffered from head injuries during his career and it left him uh, violent and emotionless. He, he attempted to beat down the metal door that isolated him. He ended up ripping off the ripping the door off its hinges, leaving visible dents in the steel. When he finally got the door off, he handed it to one of the nurses and calmly returned to his room. These room, the room, the rooms used, the rooms used more for uh, isolation, to have violent encounters. Attack them, attached to them with visitors reporting, being pushed or scratched, or even sometimes pinched, and they always hear voices. Here are some of the other hauntings. More than a few ghosts are known to staff of the asylum, including Lily, a playful and friendly spirit who is believed to have spent her entire life at the hospital. Back in the days of the asylum's operation, pregnant women who were admitted would often give birth at the hospital. Their baby, le- their baby, leave their baby, leaving there with them throughout their stay. Lily is known for her laughter as well as her interest in playing games with the staff and visitors who pay her attention. She is an active part of the asylum. Other experiences include dark shadows, objects. Moving on their own disembodied voices and cries, begs, and uh, something like stuff banging on the walls, glass breaking, and among other things. Yeah. Well, guys, I think I'm going to call it a night on that one. But I just want to say thank you guys for listening. You've been great. I love you. And I hope you enjoyed the stories. And uh, we will see you next time on Ghost Stories Told From The South. I am your host, Stephen LaBooth. You can get this podcast anywhere you want on Spotify, iHeart, all that. We're pretty much everywhere. Go check out the YouTube page. And if want to leave me a message, go to Facebook. You can find me on Ghost Stories Told From The South. And you can slide in my emails and... It's Ghost Stories Told from the South, all lowercase at gmail.com, guys. But until next time, I will scare you later. Ha <laughs> ha.